My mom started having some memory problems. She had gotten up that morning, wanted to go to the library, but my dad was sleeping in. So she decided she was going to get in the car and go to the library. She made it to the library all right. And she got there and she said she couldn't read the book. And she got scared. And so she got in the car and got lost. I'm your host, Valerie Borgman. And I'm so excited to welcome author Tracy Crump. Tracy had no idea that her years as an ICU nurse would help prepare her for her mother's mysterious illness, a mystery that Tracy's diligence helped solve. She even prevented a potentially life-threatening mistake when hospital staff attempted to give her father the wrong medication. Through everything, Tracy reminds us how important it is to advocate for your loved one. Welcome to Desperately Seeking Senior Living, a podcast for sons, daughters, grandkids, and spouses who suddenly find themselves tangled in the search for senior living and care. If you liked today's episode, don't forget to subscribe and check out our doable download in today's show notes for a printable summary of the show and a bonus tip from our guest. You're listening to our doable tips, short answers to your questions. Don't see your question listed? Send us a note. Then don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an answer. Thank you so much for being on the show and and for your interest and support on Instagram as well. As you probably realize, education is a huge passion of mine and in working with seniors. and, And I have really found that our family talk episodes are so incredibly helpful for for everyone, for our guests and for other families to see that they're not alone. And so yeah. I'm I just want to thank you so much for sharing your story. Well, you're welcome. Thank you for having me on. I Absolutely. You know, I I always say that no one wants to think about this. No one wants to talk about this because we don't want to face you know, our inevitable future, mm. our parents as they decline, it, it is yeah. a tough subject. And so how did it all begin? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, my parents lived about a mile from us, which was a huge blessing. And my, my dad had been in poor health for, for several years, but he could still drive, do some things. And my mom was doing great and she kind of took care of him. So I was not called upon very often. But they were they were just rocking along. Everything was going okay. And then my mom started having some memory problems. And so we took her to a geriatric doctor. And he said she had mild cognitive disorder, which can develop into something worse or not. So we were just kind of watching her for a while. Then one summer, she just suddenly started going downhill very quickly. She Her memory was getting worse and worse. And she had some odd motor symptoms which didn't really go along with dementia. She would lean to one side and not realize she was doing it, or she would walk kind of hunched over. And I'd say, is your stomach hurting? And she'd say, no, (laughs) she didn't even realize she was doing it. So we started going to doctors and her primary care physician did an MRA, which is an MRI with, with contrast and it's more in depth. And he said he didn't, they didn't really see anything significant. And she had a little brain atrophy, which is normal with age. And, but she was starting to kind of feel dizzy at times and still doing this, these other odd, she walked on the side of her foot was really odd, just some really odd things. And so he sent us to an ENT doctor. He said, she may have some inner ear problems. 
we went and they said, yeah, we, we think that's what it is and gave her some exercises to do and they didn't do any good. And she was just getting worse and worse. And everything kind of came to a head one day when she showed up at my door. And up until the end, my dad had done most of the driving and it wasn't because she couldn't drive, but you know, that's just kind of what, what they did. And, and so she loved to read. She, I mean, she could devour a book in one day and she'd gotten up that morning, wanted to go to the library, but my dad was sleeping in. She would get so irritated with him because he would sleep late (laughs) and she was ready to be on the go and do things. And so she decided she was going to get in the car and go to the library. Well, she made it to the library. All right. And she got there and she said she, she couldn't read the book. She couldn't, couldn't find what she wanted. She couldn't read the spines and she got scared. And so she got in the car and got lost. And, and somehow she made it back to my house. And so I brought her in, sat her down. We talked about it. I said, you don't need to drive anymore. Do not drive. And so anyway, um, that just that just really kind of propelled things. And I thought, you know, we we've got to do something. We've got to find out something. So talked to her doctor again and said, I think we need to go to a neurologist. We did. And he did just a cursory memory test and said, she's got dementia. Just flippantly like that right in front of me. Oh my gosh. And I thought, I said, but you know, she's got other symptoms, just odd. And so anyway, he, he recommended one thing, which, you know, she, she'd also passed out when she was standing up cooking. And that was another thing. She was, she was cooking less and less, less and less able to do the normal things that she always did. Finally, I, I, and all this time, Valerie, I, and I, I don't know how you'll feel about this, but I just could not sleep. I could not sleep at night. I'm a former nurse. I, I worked in ICU before we had children. And, you know, you just kind of think, I should be able to figure out this out. You know, I should, I should be able to figure out what's going on. And we'd gone from one doctor to another to another. And um, I just, I couldn't sleep for a month or more. And I just tossed and turned. And my faith is very important to me. And I would pray. And I would say, Lord, please give me direction. Show me what we need to do over and over and over again. And then I would think, oh, you know what? We haven't checked this. You know, and I would just kind of give it to the Lord and take it right back, you know, and just <laughs> so I'd say, okay, we need to do this. Well, finally, after weeks and weeks of that, I, I was exhausted. I said, Lord, I just, I don't know what else to do. And I said, I just, I just gave it over to you. And that night as I fell asleep, I remembered a friend whose dad had had similar symptoms. And I thought, what was that he had? And three words came to mind, which probably will mean nothing to your audience, but it was normal pressure hydrocephalus. I thought, hmm. So I got up the next morning, I looked it up, and she had all the all the cardinal signs. When we went back to the neurologist, I said, you know, could she have normal pressure hydrocephalus? And he said, no. I said, why not? <laughs> <laughs> why do you think that? He said, because her MRI didn't show it. Fortunately, I had done my research. And I said, but isn't it true that the MRI is not always definitive? Isn't there a special test you can do? And he kind of backed off and he said, well, yeah, but he said, he said, you'd have to go to a neurosurgeon. And I said, okay. (laughs) So we went to the neurosurgeon and I talked to him, told him everything, you know, we were going through and, and I said, now, I said, do you think this could be normal pressure hydrocephalus? And he said, no. Oh my goodness. Deja vu. We've been here before. I said, why not? And he said, because her MRI doesn't show it. And I said, and he said also because her her walking is not indicative of it. 
And he said, she can lift her feet. And I said, but one time I said, we were going up the stairs and all of a sudden she stopped and she said, I said, what's wrong? And she said, I feel like my feet are stuck. And I said, she couldn't walk up the steps. And I knew that was one of the problems people complained of. I said, isn't there a special test that you can do? And he said, well, yeah, but he said, if you really want to do that. And he kind of made me feel like you're a bad daughter for asking. You know, it's not a pleasant test. You have to have a spinal tap, a lumbar puncture, and you have to go back three days in a row for scans. It's not a pleasant thing to go through. And he said, if you really want to do that, we can do that. And so I said, well, let me talk to my dad. And this was right around the holidays. And, you know, nothing much happens during the holidays (laughs) as far as medical tests and things. And so by the time I talked to my dad, we decided, yes, we do want to do this. And by the time we got around to it, she had fallen again and she had started falling. This was one, this is one of the cardinal signs of it. So she had ended up in the hospital and her regular doctor said, well, I think maybe she could do with some rehab. Let's, you know, let's put her in a skilled nursing facility and see if that helps. She was in there. And the, the first day when we admitted her there, just so happened, which I don't think this is was a just so, the doctor who oversee, saw the medical facility, she only made rounds about every three weeks or so. Well, she just happened to be making rounds that day. And she stopped in our room and I just dumped on her. I, t- I talked to her for 20 minutes, told her everything that we had, had observed and everything we'd been going through. You know, I mentioned the normal pressure hydrocephalus and she said, you know what? She said, the learning curve is going straight up on this. She said it's it's even been featured in on television and news programs. She said, we don't know that much about normal pressure hydrocephalus. And she said, you only have one mother. She said, you need to do everything you can for her. So that was a, it makes me cry now. It was a confirmation for me that we needed to move forward with that. By this time, she had uh, lost the ability to walk. She could barely answer one or two words to a question. She no conversation and no memory. I'm telling you, she was on her way out. So we got the test done. Lo and behold, she did have normal pressure hydrocephalus. What happens in that is the cerebral spinal fluid that normally bathes the brain and the, and the spinal cord is blocked or it's not being reabsorbed. And it's like you've heard of babies with hydrocephalus, you know, they call it water on the brain that are born that way. And their brains are, are flexible. And they, I mean, their, their skulls are flexible and can expand, but an adults cannot. And they're just learning that adults can have this too. And so it presses, of course, the the fluid builds up and presses on the brain. So what they did was inserted a shunt and drained that fluid out. She made an amazing turnaround. Within three days, she was making complete sentences. She could remember what an aide had said when 10 minutes before when she'd come into the room. She never fully recovered her mobility. And so from that moment on, she was not able to actually care for herself or, or my dad. Wow. We had for her for three more years. Oh my gosh. What an amazing, you know, we have talked about this before. You have to be an advocate for your loved one, for yourself. You knew your mom better than anybody. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. we know ourselves better than anyone. And doctors are human. (laughs) Yes. Right. And so I love your story. And I, and there is another thing that I think is so important about your story. And that is the bucket that we, we tend to put people in. Mm. And, you know, this is something that we haven't actually talked about on the show yet, 
But the fact that there are other things medically that can present as dementia, Mm -hmm. can present as Alzheimer's, and that we tend to just want to quickly put people into a bucket. And so how amazing that you continued to fight and advocate and you knew, you knew Mm -hmm. that something wasn't right. And I think that's just really incredible. And and also what a, a wonderful lesson that if there are symptoms that don't fit, then let's take a look. Let's see if there mm-hmm. isn't something else that's going on. So at this point, now there's there's been a physical decline. So you you know what's going on. You know what the, the problem was. Did you step in at that point to help your dad with the caregiving or how did what did that next phase look like? Well, um, she spent about three months total in the skilled nursing facility. And, and I'll be honest, it was scary to me, even being a nurse, it was scary to me to bring her home because they wanted to stay in their own home. And I was close. That was, like I said, that was a huge blessing, but I had my own home to take care of. And, you know, it's, I knew it was going to be difficult. So we began looking at, yeah. we, we talked, we talked about several different things. And I actually had them talk into, at the time, going into an assisted living facility. They kind of resisted at first. Yeah. What was that conversation like? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's kind of like, no, no, I don't. My dad, you know, especially my dad, because he was, like I say, he had a lot of, a lot of health issues, but he was mentally fine. And then that, that wasn't something he really wanted to do was they'd been in that home for almost 40 years. What finally got them over that objection? Well, you know, I don't really know. I think they sat down and and he saw how much care she needed. When she finally came home, she went through some intensive rehab before she came home. We actually got her to the point that she could walk upstairs for a while. That that declined again. So we could actually get her into the house, which was because she had they had a back deep back stairs, like 12 steps to get up to the back door oh, to get in. So anyway, he saw, saw how much care she needed. I think that made a, a huge difference to him. Do you think it was also, it sounds like you gave them some space, like you brought it up, but then there was some space there for them to discuss it. Do you feel like that was part of it too, that it became his decision? I think it was. I think it was. And I think he was able to kind of reason with her. Um, she still wasn't thinking totally clearly. But he was able to kind of reason with her. And, and yes, I think you're right. I wasn't pressing the issue. And we were trying. And I, when we came home, I found some uh, caregivers. We started out with the agencies, you know, yeah. to bring in-home care. That did not work out as well as I hoped. First of all, they are very expensive. And I assumed that, you know, when you're, you're hiring an agency, well, there would always be somebody available. Because if somebody got sick, you know, they would have somebody else they could send. Twice at four o'clock in the morning, I got a call saying I, we don't have anybody to send. <laughs> so oh, no. I had to get up and go, yeah, go over and stay, you know, stay the day and take care of her and take care of them. Wow. Um, so that kind of that kind of put an end to that. And I, I started looking for private caregivers. And we we did pay less for them and they became like family. I mean, we found some of the most wonderful ladies. One was with us for four years. Wow. Uh, she was one of the first ones who came. And we only had one bad experience in the whole whole thing with, with private caregivers. And that was very quick and over with. But we had a lot of wonderful ladies. Very, very caring. 
very adept. I mean, they weren't trained at anything. They weren't CNAs or anything like that. They were just very, very caring women. What was the bad experience? Uh, <laughs> and and how did you discover it? Uh, well, it was a lady that we hired right at the beginning. And actually, it was from a newspaper ad that she had put in. She she said she had all kinds of wonderful references and this sort of thing. I had asked her, I had forgotten to ask her the first day or two that she was there. Our lawyer had said, we need to, we need to make up a, a little contract just to kind of keep things, you know, uh, expectations, make them clear. And for our listeners, when you're working with a company, you, you do sign something. There is something mm. there, but you're talking, what we're talking about is a private duty, someone who's right. not associated with a company. So that's really smart. Mm-hmm. It is. I was glad he recommended that. And a couple of other of the ladies had already signed it. And I had just forgotten to get this woman to. And so when I asked her to, she just went berserk. <laughs> it was it was kind of scary. And she said, I I have sat for so-and-so and so-and-so. And she named a couple of big names and she's and his mother and this mother. And she said, I've never had to sign anything like this. And, and I, I, you don't trust me. And I, I said, it's not that I don't trust you. And I said, the other so it, there was no reasoning with her. She just stormed out of there and left that day. And that might have been a blessing in disguise. A blessing, <laughs> exactly. Yes, I think it was. So we, yeah, wow. yeah, I really think it was. Wow. But had no other problems with anyone else. It was, it was, you know, really a good experience. And like I say, they became like family. But even though we weren't paying the higher prices of the agencies, it still takes a toll on your money. And this is one thing I kind of wanted to to talk about today is that it is a very real concern that your parents can outlive their money. My mom had worked in banking for years and she was very good with finances. She had been very good at making investments, making sure that they were comfortable. But they took a hit back in 2008 when we had the downturn, you know, their investments took a hit just like everyone else's and they never really recovered fully from that. It was a concern to me that they would outlive their money. Now we went along, you know, for three years, my mom lived her three more years and we had caregivers every day. They would stay until five o'clock. My dad would kind of watch over things and he would, you know, cause he could call and let me know if any, there was a problem. And then I would come back at night and put her to bed. Every morning I would come in the morning to, I was still caregiver too, you know, I was coming in the morning because I had to give her an injection in the morning and see that everything was, you know, on board, come at night. The caregivers were wonderful. We instituted a notebook, which they would write down any notes, anything they observed, any problems, you know, just anything like that. And then I could leave them notes, you know, we're going to the doctor tomorrow. I need her blood pressure list. And it was great. The tip I like to give people is the notebook. It's very important. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and that communication with, you know, we, we kept that, that open and strong. And my dad, well, it was once again around the holidays, my dad developed appendicitis. Oh my gosh. Went into the hospital. I know here he is 80 something years old and he's got appendicitis, was very sick, then had complications afterwards and just went downhill and he went into renal failure, had to go on dialysis. Oh my gosh. So he spent the next three months going back and forth between the hospital and rehab. And all this time I'm trying to take care of my mom, make sure she's been taken care of at home. Then we've got to get somebody at night 
because he's not there to watch over her and trying to be up there as much as I can with him because you need an advocate in the hospital as much as you do absolutely anywhere else. <laughs> so I'm going back and forth. At one point, they were both in the hospital at the same time, and I was going from one floor to another. Oh, <laughs> my god! It was a nightmare. But <laughs> oh, my but gosh. Anyway, but um, so he was in the hospital actually the last three months of her life because he came home the day after her funeral. Oh. And he came home on dialysis, 24-7-02, uh, wound care, home health, rehab. I had no time to even greet my mom. I had to jump right back into caregiving. Mm. So we did. We soldiered on. How was that for you? It was hard. Because so often we hear of the caregivers getting sicker than the ones they're caring for you. You know, how did you manage through all of that? It was not easy. <laughs> and you're right. You did, uh, there was like between June of 2012 and June of 2013, when my, my mom died uh, in March of 2013. But that year, it seemed like everything happened. In June of, of 2012, she was in the hospital for a, an entire month. And I spent the entire month up there with her day and night. And then I developed some health problems. It's just like one thing after another. It was just that the year of, you know what, <laughs> right in, right there. And in fact, you know, when she passed away, I had noticed just that like a day or two before she was on hospice the last few days of her life. And I had noticed all of a sudden it seemed like something was wrong with my vision. But, you know, you just push it to the back. It's like, I can't think about that now. I cannot think about that. And the day after she passed away, we were going to the funeral home. My husband was driving. We we're going down the street and I thought, what is wrong with my vision? And so I covered one eye and everything was okay. Covered the other eye and the cars coming down, a, down the street toward us just disappeared. I thought, oh, this is, this is not good. <laughs> so I had what they called a macular hole. Fortunately, it was not something I had to take care of right away. She sent me straight to a retinal doctor. He said, go bury your mother. It's okay. It's not going to get any worse. But that's one of those things, like you say. It's, you know, <laughs> uh, you, you can't take care of yourself because you've got, you've got too much to do. You've got to look after yeah. them. So is that caused by stress? No, it's not. It oh, said, okay. <laughs> he like, said oh my as gosh. we age, I said, you could have <laughs> gone all day and not said that, but he said, as we age, he said this, the gel shrinks in your eye and it, it can, can pull, you know, away from oh, the, the back of the eye. So that's what caused it. Uh. Terrible timing, though. Terrible timing. Absolutely. Absolutely. But anyway, after my mom passed away, we're, you know, I'm taking my dad back and forth to dialysis. And fortunately, and this was another huge blessing, I feel like from God, after four months, he was able to come off dialysis. Wow. Which is not a typical scenario that people come off dialysis. So wow. that, you know, that, that was, you know, a big relief there. <laughs> Yes. And, uh, so we went on for a year. He stayed home for a year. And then we started talking about the money situation. I said, you know, we've paid, we've paid private sitters for four years now. And I said, I'm just kind of worried. He was, he was very reasonable, talked about it. And we said, let's just look at assisted living. And I sat down and I ran the numbers and the money we were paying for both the private caregivers and just just taking care of the home their house was paid off so we didn't have to worry about a mortgage 
but just utilities and repairs. And you got a 40, 45 year old house, you know, there's always something has to be repaired. The refrigerator went out. I came in one day and the, the wonderful caregiver that was with us so long had her head in the refrigerator pulling stuff out because everything was melting and dissolving. And she said, the refrigerator's gone out. Oh. So, you know, it was just always something. They lived on a lot with a whole bunch of trees. Trees would die. And, you know, that's $800, $900 to take down a tree. It's just, it was always something. And so I started looking into different facilities. And I looked at the price and we could actually move him into assisted living, even though it's not cheap and paid less than we were paying for him to have caregivers and and the cost of of being at home. Plus, we could sell his house and have that. And we had a huge estate sale, which, you know, they didn't have really, really expensive things or anything, but that just gathered a little bit more money. And I just felt like you would have room to breathe. And so then. With your dad, now it was more a financial situation where it was like, okay, your money's going to run out and then what are we going to do kind of a thing? Was that right? Yes. Yeah. Right. Okay. Right. So what was the touring process like for you and and for your dad? Did he help pick out or were your options more limited because of finances? Well, both. I I went ahead. I said, let me do the the legwork because he could not stand and walk well. By that time, he was actually using a motorized chair. And we didn't really have a means to carry the chair with us. We Anytime I took him anywhere to the doctor's office or whatever, I pushed him. And, and we're talking wow. about six foot seven man that weighed 250 pounds. I pushed him oh in a little gosh. transport chair. So oh my gosh. I said, let me do the legwork. Let me see what I can find. I started visiting different facilities. One was brand new. The closest one to us was brand new, was very, very nice facility but was expensive. And uh, so, and and plus they kind of, you know, they had different levels, the level of care go up and you have to, you have to pay more. So, you know, it's kind of like, it's kind of like a la carte, you're paying more (laughs) for every little thing. So I went to, I went to two or three other places and one was in a town, little town. We're kind of out in the country a little bit town close to us and there were I usually went to do my grocery shopping and different errands and things would be convenient for me to visit. It was very nice and I knew the nurse that was over the assisted living part of it. Oh wow. They had independent living and assisted living. So I got to talk with her and I felt really good about it. And so I, I told my dad, so let's go, let's go visit it. And they said to bring him in, we'll bring him for lunch. And when she said they have we have a nice little dining room. You can kind of meet some of the people. Well, food is my dad's love language. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we went, had a real nice lunch, and he thought, oh, yeah, I like this place. Oh, people I love came it. over and said hi to us. We knew a few people who had been were in our church. And so it was, you know, it was a good experience for him. And so we went and talked to, to them about, I thought, you know, we'll ha- have to be put on a, a long waiting list. This will be a long, slow process. And suddenly they had two openings, and they offered us one. Wow. So it was kind of like, okay, let, we'll talk about it. And so we said, if we're going to do it, let's do it. Within a month, he was moved in. Wow. Of course, then, oh, my gosh. Yeah. Then we had, of course, we had the job of cleaning out the house <laughs> that they you lived in. You have all in. the other work. <laughs> exactly. That they've lived in for 40 years. <laughs> and my mom, thankfully, was she was very good about always keeping things cleaned out and throwing away. She, she wasn't a pack rat. 
my dad was. <laughs> oh, no. So, you know, the house itself wasn't too bad, but go down to the garage in his workroom and it was, oh my, it was a mess. But anyway, did you ha- end up hiring someone to help you guys go through all of that other outside of the estate sale folks? Yeah. Well, even that we did ourselves. No, it, it was, we just, oh, we just really? called it an estate sale. <laughs> oh my goodness. Wow. Yeah. No, that's a lot of work. It is. It is. <laughs> and my husband had just recently retired though. So he was able to help me. My sister who lives about seven hours away, um, they came down for one weekend and helped us do a lot of the heavy lifting and moving and stuff. Then my son who lives a few hours away, he and his at time at that time fiance came and when we were getting ready to have the sale, they priced everything for us. So it was just like, you know, we had little help along the way, a lot of lot of work in between, but we had little help along the way. And that that was that was wonderful. You had a team and everyone came in to help. That's really great. We did. We did. Was it emotional for you? Yes. It had to be on some level. Yeah. It was. It was. And it was actually the move in for him to be so receptive of the idea and ready to move. Once we got moved in, it was harder than I expected. He was still, of course, even though he was not on dialysis, he was still in kidney failure. I think they called it stage three at the time. And I was, you know, warning him. He had multiple, multiple problems. And I said, we need to watch your sodium. You know, we need to watch your fluids. You're still on fluid restriction. And I had told the nurse and the staff there, you know, we had need to get limited in this. Well, he didn't like being told. <laughs> And I think a lot of it was just the stress of moving. You know, they had been in one place for so long. And even though he was okay mentally, you know, it's still the older you get, the more you don't like change. It was hard for him. And then being told (laughs) what he could drink and how much he's a salt, was a salt lover anyway, and how much salt he could use. And, you know, he didn't like that. So we had a few battles. I finally told them just back off, just leave him alone. We can't control it. We'll we'll deal with it when he has a problem. He's he's earned his salt. Yeah, yeah, I guess <laughs> he's, he's lived long enough to earn yeah. that salt. <laughs> so I said, if it makes him go down, it makes him go down. But you know, that brings up a really good point, though. You know, you're going through so many steps to the whole process, and it's easy to forget sometimes about some of the steps. And you know, one of them is the transition. Mm-hmm. So even though someone like you're saying, he was really receptive to it, but then the actual transition, you know, had those bumps in the road. Right, right. And it it was difficult. Yeah, that happens mm-hmm. sometimes. How long did it take him before everybody sort of got on the same page and, and he was <laughs> able to relax or was he ever able to enjoy? <laughs> he did. He did. It was, I mean, just the first few weeks, I think, were just tough and he finally kind of settled in. They had like little exercise programs. Like I said, he was basically chair bound by that point. He he would use his motorized chair. It was funny. This is something you may not have ever heard of. Is though they required us to get some insurance, kind of like renter's insurance, that if he ran into anything with that chair <laughs> <laughs> or ran into anybody with that chair. <laughs> oh, yes. It does not surprise me because there are many communities that don't allow mm. them. Really? Because of the liability issues. So that that's a nice mm-hmm. workaround <laughs> for any communities out there that True. are listening. Just have them get some insurance. True. True. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, but he he kind of settled in. They had they had like extra little exercise classes where they would sit in a chair and, you know, do things with their arms and stuff. And he did that one time and said, 
that's silly. I'm not doing that. (laughs) (laughs) And so he would do some of the activities that they did there, but he was kind of a loner and he always had been. And that was one thing they didn't understand. More than once they would say, you know, I think maybe your dad's depressed. He won't participate in this. And I said, he's just, that's just the way he is. He, he had a tablet, he played games on, you know, he watched his, his basketball games. It was just like, leave me alone. I'm okay. Just leave me alone. <laughs> so it just, it took me a while to convince them he's not depressed. You know, he's really not, this is just him. And so wow. we had to, we had to get past that too. So that's another example of you being an advocate. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's so important. You know, we did uh, an episode not too long ago about when does your role of caregiving end Mm -hmm. or, you know, how do you deal with that transition? But there are even moving into an assisted living, there are still things that you are going to be doing from a caregiving perspective and advocating is definitely one of them. Yes. And so this was, you know, another example. And Mm -hmm. absolutely, it's so important to share even with an assisted living, mm-hmm. what your loved one is like and, and the fact that your dad just wanted to be left alone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I right. love that. Yeah. I love yeah. that. That's right. They they did require, and he went along with this, you know, he wasn't an early riser, but they had he had to get up at a certain time and go down for breakfast. He had to go down for all three meals. And so that that was okay. I was okay with that because that that got him out of the room, at least at, at times. And around other people, and he made friends and talked to other people and stuff, and kind of had a little lady friend for a while. They would play Chinese checkers for a while. Oh my goodness! Yeah, and, what uh, was that like? That was <laughs> for you. <laughs> it was fine. I mean, it wasn't. It wasn't anything romantic, really. But people would tease them, you know, about it. But but she's really real sweet little lady. But she she finally ended up having to go to another. I think even a nursing home, but she fell, had a really bad fall. She had very bad arthritis, rheumatoid arthritis. So, you know, everything, everything kind of fell into place. He, he did, he did okay. I do want to say this too, going back to the finances, this is probably not a typical thing, but it's something to kind of be aware of uh, in case there's a facility like this in, in your area. This particular facility was run by the Methodist church and they had something called a Sunday fund. And if you had lived there for at least a year and your money ran out, they would not kick you out, which I actually asked the other facility, the one that I said, you know, the new facility that was closer to us. And if you didn't pay, you were gone. Yeah. And I'm glad that you are bringing that up. Which state are you in? You are in Mississippi? Mississippi. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so every state is a little bit different. And Mm -hmm. I'm here in Washington state and there are programs like that as well, where there are churches that run assisted living communities and they have these funds. Yeah. So I think it's more common, which is a good thing because finances are so, it's so expensive, like we've talked about. And so that's really great that you had your finger on the button of those finances and you knew to ask that question because what would have happened? And this is so hard. We definitely work with families that have already spent that year of funding, right? And now we're looking for a a state Mm -hmm. pay facility Medicaid. What would have happened if you hadn't have asked that question, Mm -hmm. right? And then all the money would have been gone. And then you wouldn't have qualified Mm -hmm. for the program at the church run assisted living. So that was another one of those blessings, Mm -hmm. I think, Mm -hmm. for you and your story. 
It was. It was a huge relief to me to know that that we didn't have to worry about that. Now, he did not run out of money. Everything was fine. Now, he lived there for two years before he passed away. But it, you know, it was it was such a relief. And, you know, you talked about about moving him in and all that. It was a huge weight off my shoulders to move him into assisted living, to know that I was not constantly responsible, having to go over there to his house constantly. I even, my husband, I walk around the lake here where, where we live and we would walk shortly after we moved him into assisted living, we would pop, walk past his house and I said, oh no, there's another dead tree. We're going to have to call. And I thought, no, that's not my problem anymore. <laughs> but even then you're still the caregiver. And, you know, you, you yeah. said, you know, you're still advocating. I would still get calls in the middle of the night. If he fell, I had to take an emergency room. I still had to take him to the doctor every time. You're not done. It's not like, you know, I'm pushing him off. And so I don't think people should feel guilty if they can't continue the level of care they started with. It's just a different type of care. And you're still the daughter. You're still the caregiver. But it's just it's just a different type of care. You're still overseeing things. And I think most everybody who does care for their loved ones, they they care enough that they don't, they're not just, you know, shoving them off to somebody on somebody else to care for them. You're still there. I love that you're bringing that up. We actually just had another interview with a family caregiver who talked about how some people were so cruel. They were, you know, saying things like, why are you putting them in that? facility? Why are you doing that when they just didn't understand the weight that caregiving held? Mm -hmm. So I'm really glad that you're bringing that up because I think that's important. If they're not going through it right now, they don't understand, but understand that the probability that you are going to be in that position someday (laughs) is pretty big. (laughs) That's true. That's true. Yes. It's skyrocketing. It is. Yeah. And this is where I, you know, I really hope that, that this episode can help another family And, you know, one of the things that we ask our guests is if they just have one doable tip for families that are going through this right now, or maybe in the future, what would your doable tip be? Hmm. Uh, I think it's what we've already talked about is, is the advocating is that you, you need to be an advocate. There were so many times that I had to speak up, not only for my mom, you know, but for my dad, just know that they need you. They can't, a lot of times speak for themselves. My mom couldn't speak for herself at all. My dad, I was in the hospital one time and a nurse came in. We had spent the night in the emergency room and getting checked in and I was exhausted. I was kind of asleep on the couch, but you know, kind of half awake. And she was sneaked in, trying not to wake me up. And she said, I've got some medicine for you. And he said, I heard him say, what is it? And she said, it's a nitroglycerin patch. And he said, okay. And I jumped up off the couch because his doctor said he is on a medication that he must never get nitroglycerin. It could kill him. And he didn't remember that. You know, he did not remember that. Even though he was okay mentally, he did not remember that. And I jumped up and stopped her just in time. So just being an advocate, just know that that you're not being pushy. You're not being overbearing if you advocate for your loved one and do research. If I hadn't done that research on normal pressure hydrocephalus, 
I might not have been bold enough to say, you know, I think there's a test we can do to make sure. <laughs> Don't be afraid to advocate for your loved one. Today's episode is brought to you by ClearPath Senior Living Solutions. ClearPath helps families find assisted living, memory care, and other resources. Find our contact information in today's show notes. Check out this episode's doable download in show notes for details, including industry terms and definitions we discussed, as well as a bonus tip from our guest. Have questions or your own tips to share? Leave us a message. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, make it doable.